Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, December 30th, 2021. On today's episode, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, uh, let's get right into it. We haven't really been doing much of anything or reading much of anything. I mean, it's holiday time still. Uh, we're in that weird zone between Christmas and New Year's, so things are yeah. like, kind of slow. But uh, it seems like you've been doing a lot of catch up for end of the year stuff. So what have you been watching recently? I have. And real quick, actually, just before we get to that, um, because I mentioned this and teased it on the last mini water cooler I was on, I think. Um, I, I was in London for a No Time to Die press event, and if you want to check out uh, what I did there, it's a cool stunt driving experience and whatnot with the actual stunt driver from No Time to Die, uh, the motorcycle stunt driver who did that huge uh, jump in Italy where that car chase takes place uh, early on in the movie, 
And it's a pretty cool thing. So, uh, yeah, um, if you haven't heard about that yet and you haven't seen that, check out SlashFilm.com. We'll, uh, we'll put links in the show notes to uh, the video showcasing that cool thing that I got to do in London. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that video that you posted looks really awesome. It, I mean, it's like there's a GoPro inside the car with you and everything. It looked really cool. So definitely yeah, check had, that they, out if you haven't uh, seen that yet, listeners. Yeah, they had drones and stuff. And, yeah, it was it was very cool. <laughs> Sweet. All right. So uh, what have you been watching, Brad? Yeah, definitely doing a lot of catch up. I'm I am uh woefully behind on a lot of movies that I'm seeing on other top 10 lists and like critic circles nominations and things like that. So I'm trying to do my uh due diligence and see as many as I can so I can have a cohesive list that feels like I've I've seen a lot of the stuff uh that I I need to see. So um I saw Nightmare Alley uh recently in theaters. Went to go see it because nobody else was, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And everybody should be seeing this. Uh I mean, it's a Guillermo del Toro movie, first of all. And if that's not enough to get you into theaters, I, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. I don't know what you're doing with your life. Um, but it's uh, it's a remake of the classic film of the same name. It's got Bradley Cooper, uh, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Willem Dafoe. It's an incredible cast. Uh, it's this great uh, twisted story, um, a, a morality tale where this guy uh, who gets uh joins up with a traveling circus and uh, learns the ins and outs of being a mentalist and starts to use them in uh, somewhat nefarious ways to make a name for himself and get rich, but then um, starts to see that maybe the uh, things aren't as easy to deal with as he thinks they are um, by being this uh, hotshot mentalist. And I'll leave it at that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's the performances in this are, are so great. It's a gorgeously shot movie. Um, it's just, just one of those movies where like, you, you should see it in theaters just for the ambiance for that experience. You know, it's not Spider-Man No Way Home, obviously, but like these are the kind of movies that like people also need to see in, in theaters. And so if you haven't seen it yet, I, I can't implore you enough to uh, find theaters, hopefully where it's still playing um, and just just seek it out for yourself because it's uh, it's just a great flick. Yeah, really, really good stuff there. Uh, your next one, I'm, I'm curious what you thought about this, because I also saw this movie. I don't think I've talked about it yet, so we can have a little a little mini discussion here. But um, I was not a huge fan of this movie. But what did you think about Being the Ricardos? Yeah, so I, I was looking forward to this because I, I like Aaron Sorkin's writing. He's he's a great writer. Uh, no matter how much of a, a douchebag and tone-deaf dickhead he sometimes sounds like in reporters and stuff like that, he's just a phenomenal writer. There's no getting around it. But unfortunately, he's not the best director, and I feel like he's squandering his scripts by directing movies in a very average fashion. Um, I didn't dislike being the Ricardos. I, I mostly enjoyed it. Um, again, it's Aaron Sorkin's direction. I think that short changes the script from a movie that could have been really good in somebody else's hands. Um, I, I found myself distracted every now and then by the makeup that they use to try and make Nicole Kidman look a little bit more like Lucille Ball because sometimes she looks like a wax figure and it's kind of unnerving. But Nicole Kidman herself did a pretty good job with the performance. She um, She's not doing anything terribly exaggerated to try to be Lucille Ball. If anything, it's more subdued. It really comes through when she's being the Lucille Ball that you know from I Love Lucy, doing the, the voice and the exaggerated expressions and physical comedy, which she's very skilled at. Um, Javier Bardem, I thought was, was, was fine. It's, it's another thing though, where it's tough to get past the idea that he doesn't really resemble or sound like, uh, Desi Arnaz. Mm -hmm. Um, and even in when he's being Ricky Ricardo and I love Lucy, that also didn't feel quite right. You know, cause like I, it's a tricky balance when you're doing biopic performances of 
doing a, uh, an actual performance or doing an impersonation. But in some cases, I feel like you have to walk the line and like do something that really is similar to how those people sounded, especially when you're playing two people who are the one of the most famous TV couples in the history of television, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I still liked what this movie did with uh, Lucy and Desi as, as characters and how it told their story. You know, Sorkin does a good job of balancing what happens during this tumultuous week on the set of the show, uh, where there's a couple very um, in, invasive and worrisome things happening in their, their life, both as TV stars and as a couple. Um, and then also flashing back and forth between how they met and their history as a couple and as television stars. Um, but it, it like, again, it's, it's held back by Aaron Sorkin, not necessarily knowing the best way to tell this story visually. And I think especially... In this case, the framing device didn't work for me. Uh, the they ha- it has these interludes where it's like documentary style uh, actors pretending to be the writers and showrunner of I Love Lucy, looking back in like some kind of retrospective thing. That and it, stuff is the worst part of the movie. Yeah, it like it, a it feel it doesn't feel genuine enough to work in that as that framing device, and b it just totally interrupts the flow of the story. I would have just rather had the movie presented without that stuff. So um, again, I didn't come away disliking this movie. I mostly enjoyed it, but I think it has a lot of problems and I just wish it would have been told in a better way. And honestly, I would have liked to have seen this play out maybe in like a mini series fashion. Cause I feel like there's so much more here that could have been explored. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there, there are moments where like um, where Nicole Kidman is talking with um, Aaliyah Shaw, uh, Shawkat's character. And it seems like the movie is going to get into like some really interesting territory about like, what it means to be a woman in comedy at that time and like the immense pressure that Lucille Ball felt and like the, the incredible um, uh, skill that she had as a, not only a performer, but like a, a developer, a shaper of comedy and like the, the individual bits and episodes that happen within the context of a given episode. And the movie sort of like, you know, covers that a little bit, but especially the, the female relationships, I thought, that's where Aaron Sorkin kind of suffers across his entire career. And I feel like, especially in when you're dealing with a character like Lucy, who, like you said, is, you know, this indelible TV icon. um, I I think this story would have been, uh, it would have benefited from a deeper exploration into that part of, of the, the narrative, you know? And I think maybe in a TV form, like you're saying, maybe there would have been a little bit more room for something like that. I I don't know. Um, Yeah, I agree. It, It needed like a second pair of eyes, I think to like, do a a once over of Sorkin scripts where like just to offer a little bit of a different perspective, because if there's one thing that he doesn't have experience with, it's like being a female in that position, you know, and how like having those conversations sound genuine and come from a place of like the female perspective who know what it's like and, you know, can put words into those characters and in those scenes where it actually feels more authentic yeah yeah definitely all right so i'm also very curious brad what you thought about this next film here yes i saw the matrix resurrections uh and i I did see it in theaters i didn't have to watch it on hbo max thankfully i caught a last minute press screening um and i have to say i was fairly disappointed in this one Uh, i know this movie has been divisive and i've seen a lot of people praise it because of how uh, it subverts the expectations of a legacy sequel and a reboot and uh, how clever it is for doing that and not necessarily giving the audience exactly what they're hoping for from a Matrix movie. But like when you're dealing with a franchise like the Matrix, you still have to give them some of that. Um, and I don't think that it's clever enough to just like talk about it with meta textuality and like little, you know, sly references and um, 
poking fun at Warner Brothers for wanting, you know, a sequel in the form of a, a video game sequel, since the Matrix <laughs> movies are ter- essentially turned into video games in this fourth installment of the movie. Um, and so, like, I, I, I just walked away feeling like the movie was kind of full of itself and thought that it was more clever than it was. And I don't think that it successfully subverted expectations to the point where it felt like it did anything innovative in the way that the matrix was innovative as far as a sci-fi blockbuster is concerned. Um, I, I, I appreciate the focus on the love story because that has always been a huge part of the matrix is, you know, Neo and Trinity. Um, but it just felt like it was lacking substance. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like a lot of the things where it comments on itself and its mere existence and how uh, it uses like nostalgia and longing and love to the, you know, advantage of the the programs and the, the matrix being rebooted uh, that it, it wasn't enough to justify making the movie like this. Th- this didn't feel like it need to be made much in the same way that the movie itself posits that the, the video game sequel doesn't need to be made, you know? Mm. Um, I, I like most of the performances. I think Jessica Henwick is fantastic. Um, there, there's some decent action sequences, but there's nothing that rivals what we've seen in the Matrix movies, even the sequels. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I just wanted more from this movie. Um, I, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I also wanted a lot more from it. I, I talked about this a little bit uh, earlier this week with Jacob, who had not seen it yet, so I had to be super vague. Um, and maybe we can issue uh, a spoiler warning here just in case so we don't have to like talk around anything so if you've not seen this movie maybe skip ahead a few minutes but uh broadly speaking i i appreciated what it was trying to do but yeah i had several hang-ups with the movie and you know you, you touched on a lot of them there i think my the biggest one for me i didn't really mind the meta stuff as much i mean yes it was a little grating the way that uh, some of it was sort of hammered home and hit you yeah, over the so head the over and over again. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, you know, all of those boardroom scenes with like the little, the bros and, and everybody who's like hanging out with Thomas Anderson, like, and the, the coffee shop stuff, like uh, all of that was just kind of, um, I don't know, like a little cringy to me, to be honest. Uh, but, but I like the, the, uh, sentiment behind it. I like the, the, um, unconventional approach to a movie like this because it's so easy to imagine what a boring ass version of this movie could have been. Uh, And I appreciate that Lana Wachowski did not go that route. I just don't think the execution was fully there for what she was trying to do with this particular story. I think the, the love story thing that you mentioned earlier, like the entire movie hinges on you really buying into the love story between uh, Neo and Trinity and I, I just revisited the original trilogy before watching this movie and I had not seen the sequels for a long, long time. And I think the the love story stuff actually works a lot better in the original trilogy than it does here because there's so much time spent where you don't know what reality actually is in the matrix resurrections. Like I was telling Jacob, like um, the first movie, I think the reason it works really well is, you know, within the first 20 or 30 minutes, Neo goes through the looking glass basically. And like, you know, there was a before and an after and he, for most of the movie, he's clearly in the matrix. There's no question about what reality actually is. And this movie plays it in an entirely different way where it has to be so much more complex because, you know, like you said, the the matrix trilogy was a video game series in this one. And like, he's speaking with the psychiatrist who's trying to tell him, Oh, you've invented all of this stuff in your head. And there's so such a huge percentage of the movie where Neo, who is this 
POV character for the entire series so far has been it, you're, you as an audience member are unclear about where he is and what is real and what is going on. And I just don't think that, um, I think there was way too much time spent in that un- in that confused sort of uncertain state that you didn't really get, or I didn't, I felt like I didn't get enough genuine interactions between him and Trinity or Tiffany, as she's known in this movie. Like I, I just, there was so much um, falseness and sort of fakeness to everything because they spent so much time questioning reality that for the love story moments at the very, very end of the movie to really land, I just feel like there wasn't enough runway there, you know? Yeah, and honestly, like, the way this movie plays out, it almost feels like we missed two movies in between, you know? Mm. Like, it feels like we're catching up, and, like, they they did a trilogy where, like, you have these new characters, and they have their own experience with the Matrix, and they're on the hunt for, like, for, for Morpheus or for Neo or something like that. And then, yeah. this, and then this is the movie where, like, oh, okay, the original cast is back, they finally find them, let's get, you know, down to business kind of thing. Um, and especially because there's just so much stuff that, like... I don't mind when they, when sequels do this, when like they introduce world building concepts and like just act like it's been like this for a while, you know, like like having the the machines who are their their allies, you know, Psy uh, uh, Baby, I think they're coming mm-hmm. to call it now and stuff, um, and like the um, the the manifestation of like what Morpheus is and and, and like thing, things like that, you know, like I, I like things like that, but like it just felt like there wasn't enough explanation or context provided to me to like really get a grasp on like why it matters in the, you know, the the context of the movie itself and like the franchise as a whole, you know? Yeah. And then like at the very, very end, again, spoilers for the movie, uh, when it's revealed that sort of like Trinity is the one, like she's the one sort of, you know, flying in the air and holding up, um, Neo in the sky after they jump off this building. I'm like, that's a really cool visual, a really cool idea. The movie devotes all of what ten minutes to that concept yeah. at the very, very end of the movie, and it's and it's sort of even unclear to me at the very end, like what it even means. Like, yeah, what? exactly. So, I, I that didn't feel satisfying to me. Like, you know, the end of the Matrix Revolutions, where uh, the architect and the Oracle like walk off into the sunset about how you know, talking about how like, oh, well, everything's different now and we're entering a new age and all of that. Like, I wouldn't necessarily call that uh, super satisfying on a narrative level, but at least it, it ended an arc. It closed a circle and you sort of get this, get a sense of, uh, of conclusive, of a conclusive ending. And this movie, it's like, okay, what, what, <laughs> like, what, what exactly does this mean? Is Trinity really the one? Cause like nobody ever actually comes out and says that. And then like, if she is, what does that mean? And what is Neo's role in this whole thing now that it's been sort of recontextualized under Trinity? And like, I I would love for, for this entire movie to have been, Oh, actually this time Trinity's the one the whole time, but like, that's not the, that's not what this movie is. Yeah. Um, So, and and almost intentionally. So, you know, it seems like, and that doesn't always work in this case. And like, I also think that it's, it's a tough sell to do something like that when, Trinity or Tiffany, however, however you want to refer to her, is barely in the rest of the movie. Like yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a moment that's earned when it should be a like a triumphant. Like, oh yeah, this is awesome. You know, mm-hmm. it's just rushed and yeah. I just yeah, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Yeah, I mean, like the anytime I think about, especially in the context of the Matrix, how moments where I want to be like, this is awesome. It feels like Lana Machowski is pushing against that. And this movie, I mean, there's a lot in this movie of like her actively pushing back against. Uh, against that kind of mentality. And like, again, I, I appreciate the unconventional approach. I just don't think the the um, particular 
uh, field on which she landed here, like, the, you know, to, to um, I don't know, the, the, the exact approach here, I just think, uh, was flawed. So I, I don't know. I hate being like Monday morning quarterback, like, here's how you could have made this movie better. Like, that's just kind of obnoxious and annoying. But um, the final product left me wanting in, in multiple ways, even though I, I sort of, I like what it did on paper more than I like the, the actual final movie. So. Yeah, agreed. Uh, um, all right, what else have you been watching, Brad? Um, I watched The Night House, uh, which is a, a horror thriller, kind of psychological, kind of uh, supernatural. Uh, it stars Rebecca Hall. It's directed by um, uh, David Bruckner. And uh, I really like this movie a lot. It's um, It seems like it's going to go in some, like, predictable directions um and in a way it does but the it's the way that it pulls it off uh that makes it that much more uh engaging to me it's um because like it has the it has certain supernatural elements it's more so psychological but the way it presents like this mystery and what rebecca hall is going through uh as a character who uh recently lost her husband to suicide and then she kind of starts uncovering uh seemingly um concerning sinister things about his life leading up to his death and just how that mystery unfolds um and how like the the supernatural side of it is uh presented visually uh and of course Rebecca Hall's performance too it's just a it's a slow burn but it's a very uh engaging thriller and uh, I was really impressed with how um original it was in presenting things that are otherwise typically presented in a, in a cliche way when it comes to the horror genre. Um, it, this was a Sundance movie and it's very much uh, a Sundance horror movie in that way. Um, cool. So yeah, I, I really liked it a lot. Excellent. And I also got around to watching eight bit Christmas, um, which is an HBO max uh, original holiday movie. And uh, this stars Neil Patrick Harris and it's uh, directed by Michael Douts who did uh, goon before. And it's basically like, a mix of a Christmas story and jingle all the way where uh, it's set in the 1980s. And this uh, young kid wants a Nintendo because it's all the rage and goes through all these um, hurdles and hoops to, to try and get one, but it's not quite as um, ludicrous. I guess you could say like it still <laughs> has, has some wild comedy elements to it for sure. Um, but it actually has a little bit more genuine heart and clever comedy um and that's not to say that a christmas story isn't clever but like jingle all the way and this is coming from somebody who loves this movie because it's so awfully hilarious and bad but so fun at the same time um but this this movie just feels like um a more commendable comedy in its approach and it has a solid cast all the kids in it are fantastic um and it honestly just has a big beating heart and it has a surprisingly emotional ending that i was not expecting whatsoever and it kind of knocked me on my feet wow uh, yeah um it's uh so yeah it's it's definitely very enjoyable i know it's a little bit after christmas so maybe you're not in the mood but since we're kind of in that weird period before the new year and stuff like that i think it's it's worth a watch and uh, i think you'll be surprised by how much you like it okay so that's called 8-bit christmas that is on what hbo max is yeah right? hbo okay. max gotcha and then uh yeah what's what's the last one here this last thing i watched is a new show and uh i kind of caught it by uh, accident because I was screwing around on my phone and my mom was watching something on TV and it ended and uh, we were basically getting ready for bed and this came on and we were both kind of um, fascinated by it. It's this new show called That's My Jam. It's officially coming to NBC 
uh, in January on the fourth, uh, the third or the fourth, I think the third. Uh, but they did a couple sneak preview episodes, and like uh, we caught it just randomly playing on the E channel because that's where the movie was that, that happened to be on. That my mom was watching, uh, and you can also catch the preview episodes on Peacock right now. And so it's basically this like it's a uh, a karaoke game show is the best way to describe it. It's hosted by Jimmy Fallon. Uh, stick with me because that's like he's even though he's the host, <laughs> it's not necessarily all about him. What's fun about it is the show brings in. Um, uh, celebrity guests, most of them being musicians, at least in like the, the the first sneak preview episodes, to partake in these different kind of like musical challenges involving songs. So like what they do is they have uh, the the first round they did, and this is with the the, the hosts of The Voice. So it was Ariana Grande, Blake Shelton, uh, John Legend, and Kelly Clarkson. And so Ariana and Blake faced off with um, Kelly and John. And so the first part of the show, they have a band, like a house band there, and they play. Um, the melody of one song, but with the lyrics of another song <laughs> in its place. And they have to come up with what the mashup title is. So it was like, for example, I want to dance with somebody that I used to know. And they sung this, the lyrics of the Gautier song with the Whitney Houston. Interesting. Song. Okay. Uh, and then the, another round they had, um, they're given uh, either a two different songs or a song and a completely different genre outside of that song and they have to like sing the song in that style or figure out how to fit the lyrics to the melody of another song. Um, and so like it requires genuine musical talent because in my mind I was like, well, why didn't they just have regular people be the contestants for the show? But the, the, the real draw comes from having these incredibly, you know, famous and gifted singers do this stuff because they're probably the only ones who really could do this effectively. Um, and so like there's there's several other rounds uh, that are more trivia oriented. They have a, a spin on what um, the game show that used to be called the the singing bee, where they have to sing the lyrics of a, of a song and get them exactly right uh, while they're singing in a sound booth. Otherwise, they get blasted with like a, a water um, spray. So it would be hilarious <laughs> because famous people don't want to mess up their look, obviously. Um, so it's, it was a lot of fun. I was really kind of uh, caught up in just. The, the spectacle of it all because watching um, all these people who are really good singers do this stuff like on the spot musically uh, and just like uh, be able to to wing it and just be so skilled at it. It was, it's, it was really impressive and just a lot of fun. It reminded me a little bit of what uh, Wayne Brady used to do on Whose Lines In Anyway back in the day um, with that sort of like being thrown into the the uh, like improvisation side of, of music on a, a big stage like that. Um, you know, maybe some shared DNA or something along those lines. But uh, so what, what is the show called again? It's called Brad? That's My Jam. Uh, and then there's there's at least one episode available to preview on Peacock, maybe two. Um, and then it officially premieres on NBC on January 3rd. Okay, cool. Uh, I just have a couple things that I wanted to mention here that I've been watching. I watched a movie called F for Fake. Have you ever seen this, Brad? The Orson Welles movie from the, the 70s? I have not. Okay, so it's it, Orson Welles was famously a magician in real life. He, he dabbled in uh, in magic, and uh, this movie is basically him sort of, it, it's this weird docudrama where he follows around a, a guy who's a professional art forger and uh, a person who wrote a biography of Howard Hughes, where that biography was then um, later to uh, later discovered to be a fake. So it's like a movie about con men and and uh, cons and the art of misdirection and all of that kind of stuff. The editing in this movie is just absolutely out of its mind. Like for a 1973 film, I know that um, you know uh, 
God, what's the movie uh, with the the bank robbing um, the lovers on the run? Why can I not think of this? Oh, Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde. Clyde. Yeah, uh, that that came out in like the late '60s and really like changed the game in terms of um, what editing in Hollywood movies could could do uh, because it was it was just so different than anything that came out before it. And this was like what a few years later, 1973. This came out. And the editing in this is like so much more, it, it feels almost like an MTV style thing, like well, well before that became, you know, like the the dominant way of, of visual storytelling really. Um, so it, it's kind of incredible to watch just from a, a uh, technical perspective. I, I couldn't really uh, get into the story in a, in a major way because Orson Welles narrates the movie. He appears as, as himself in the movie and he basically starts the whole thing by telling you that like, you can't believe anything that I'm saying in this because this is all a con. And it's not really in a fun way, like, um, like Ryan Johnson's the brother brothers bloom or something like that, where it it feels like you're in on the joke with them. It it sort of feels like Orson Welles is like, uh, he's just kind of doing his own thing and a camera happens to be there. (laughs) And it's like, he's, he's interested in this stuff. So he's making a movie about it, but he doesn't necessarily care if you are, um, are fully on board with every single, with tracking every single narrative thread that he lays out here. So uh, it's, it's an interesting movie. I wouldn't say that it's a great movie and it's certainly not one that I like um, enjoyed with, with no uh, reservations. So it's called F for fake. It's on HBO, uh, HBO max and, uh, streaming on the Criterion channel right now. If you want to watch it, um, I would recommend if you're especially somebody who's like into, you know, film language and and the art of editing, um, th- this movie has a lot on display for you there. So it's called F for Fake. And then finally, uh, I watched a movie called Pickup on South Street from 1953. I love this movie. It is a film noir that came out, uh, yeah, early 50s. It's basically like... Um, Brad, you know, you remember in The Rocketeer, there's that scene where uh, one of the gangsters uh, who's been working with um, with uh, Neville Sinclair, the, the Nazi, the secret Nazi bad guy, discovers that Neville Sinclair is a Nazi and he, he ends up turning on him and says, you know, some line about like, uh, you know, I I may be a criminal, but I'm not going to work with you. At least I'm at least I'm you know American through and through. Like I'm a red blooded yeah. American, <laughs> like that kind of thing. That's kind of what this movie is about. It's about a pickpocket who steals uh, this woman's wallet on a subway in New York City, and he discovers that there is a piece of microfilm in her wallet. She was on her way to deliver. Uh, this microfilm that has this, you know, like government secrets on it for her boyfriend. She was going to deliver this to some guy, some communist guy. And she doesn't really know exactly the extent to which her her boyfriend is, uh, you know, involved with these communists and what's going on and everything. And and this guy, uh, this, this pickpocket, like slowly discovers what is going on. And there are all these people who come after him because he has this super valuable film and this, this woman gets uh, involved in the whole thing again. It's, it's just really, really greatly, you know, like super tightly plotted uh, noir movie that I thought was just excellent all around. So Richard Widmark star that stars in this uh, Jean Peters is great. Thelma Ritter, who I didn't know her name, but um, I just watched uh, the original miracle on 34th street right before Christmas. And uh, I don't know if you are you familiar with that movie, Brad? Is that one that you you watch a lot, or have you seen that one a bunch? Yeah, no, I mean not a lot, but like I've seen it, you know, enough times just because of Christmas. So yeah, yeah. So there's this part in uh, Miracle on 34th Street where um, the the uh, Macy's department store Santa basically like 
turns people away and says like, oh, we don't have the the product that you're looking for, but go down the street to Gimbel's and they have it for you. Like, you know, we're not, we don't have it in stock, go over there. And this woman who is like a, a mother in the movie is like completely flabbergasted that Macy's would do such a thing. And she like tracks down some employee and is like, in all of my years, I've never seen, you know, anybody do this, but now you've made me a Macy's customer for life by, by being actually helpful and, you know, putting the customer above, um, you know, uh, consumerism and all of that, that, that is the actress Thelma Ritter that, that plays that very, very small role in Miracle on 34th Street. I was like, where have I seen this woman before? And I, I just saw her in that movie. So if anybody deep cut, yeah, exactly. So if anybody happens to watch this and, and you're wondering where you've seen her before, she was also in like all about Eve. She's been in a bunch of stuff, but she has uh, arguably like one of the greatest moments in this movie. It's super like, um, like heart stringy, uh, real, real um, surprisingly deep uh, moment in a movie that's otherwise pretty fun and, and sort of like, uh, you know, noiry in that way where like people go around talking about moles and dames and, you know, I, uh, man, you're such a cannon and like, you know, <laughs> I, I never, uh, I never grift a dame on a train, you know, like all those kinds of, uh, that great like repartee kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, it, it's a really, really great movie. Uh, Samuel Fuller wrote and directed it. It's called pickup on South street and it is streaming on the criterion uh, channel if you want to check that out, which I encourage everyone to do. Nice. Um, all right, so let's get into what we've been eating. Uh, Brad, what have you been eating over this holiday season? Well, let me tell you. Uh, the first thing I'll talk about is uh, a new cereal that just came out on shelves. Uh, it is a Wendy's Frosty cereal where they've taken the flavor of a Wendy's Frosty and somehow packed it in. To I can't cereal. even imagine. That <laughs> seems like it's it's so tied in my senses with the sensation of being freezing cold that I can't imagine <laughs> it in cereal form. Yeah, so it's it's not it doesn't taste exactly like a a Wendy's Frosty. So cuz it's it's basically if you saw it you'd be like, "Oh, so they just they took cocoa puffs and they put marshmallows in it." And that's basically what it is. The the actual cereal pieces are uh, not remarkably dissimilar from Cocoa Puffs. However, I think that it's the marshmallows that actually give the cereal more of the frosty flavor because they're very small and very plentiful. And uh, they're they're not quite as firm as like the marshmallows you would find in like Lucky Charms or other cereals. They they get pretty soft in the milk pretty quickly. And the when you get a good mouthful of the marshmallows with the cereal, the marshmallows themselves feel like they taste more like a, a, a marshmallow frosty, basically. Like if you had marshmallows that were flavored like frosty. Um, and then the the real, I guess, bonus, you know, is that it um, the combination of the cereal with the marshmallow does make the milk taste like frosty milk, essentially, which is, which is pretty good. So if you like frosty and you like frosty a little more melted than just being cold like ice cream, huh. um, it's 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 a good cereal no matter what, even if it doesn't taste you know, exactly like a frosty. It's, it's still a pretty good cereal. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I would get it again. Um, and it's, uh, I found mine at, uh, a, a regional chain here called Myers, but it's been popping up at Walmart and other nationwide grocery stores. So you should be able to find it pretty easily. Okay. Um, um what else? I also tried a, a Trader Joe's snack that I'm not sure if this is like a new thing or a limited thing, or if it's just very common and I haven't been to Trader Joe's often enough to see it. Um, but it's called a PB and J snack duo. And you know, like those, uh, handy snacks that have like the cracker sticks with the cheese that you dip in them and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Classic. Yeah. This is like that, except it's, um, wafer, um, wafer sticks filled with peanut butter. And then you dip them in a raspberry jam. 
Uh, and these are really, really good. I'm not even really much of a raspberry fan, but the, the raspberry jam that's included with them, especially when you dip the, the peanut butter wafer sticks in them, uh, it's a really great flavor combination. And uh, I, I hope that I can find them again because they are, they're good like lunchtime snacks, basically. Excellent. Uh, holiday season-wise, I stumbled upon this at a Jewel Osco. Um, we don't have a Jewel Osco like super close to us. We just happened to be in the vicinity of one when we were, needed to get some holiday groceries. And I stumbled upon this great drink that I'm going to have to try and seek out every holiday season because it was so damn good. Um, it's called Kemp's Peppermint Mocha Holiday Nog. Uh, and Kemp's is like a dairy company. They do traditional eggnog and milk and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and th- I just hadn't seen um, a holiday nog like this before. So I, I, I grabbed a small carton of it. And man, this was so good. It's, it's, it's not, I would, it's, um, I would say like, it's as thick as like a whole chocolate milk, um, kind of, kind of thing. It doesn't really have like a, a nog texture to it. It's just mm. like, a, basically like just a, um, somewhere between like whole milk and, uh, like eggnog consistency, I would say. Um, but it's basically like a peppermint mocha, um, chocolate milk essentially is what it tasted like. And hmm. it was, it was really, really good. And I actually mixed it with, um, Oh, so something I didn't even uh, put on this list, but I will put it on now since I'm, I mixed it with this peppermint mocha holiday nog is, uh, this cocoa cream liqueur that I also got at Trader Joe's, which is, uh, really, really good. Um, it has this great, like smooth cocoa flavor and, uh, just has like a hint of the, the alcohol taste. And if you mix it with anything that's remotely like a, a milky drink, you know, whether it's chocolate milk or um, eggnog, or you can even just pour it on ice and have it straight. It was uh, ac- absolutely delicious. So um, I don't know how easy it would be to find right now since it's like kind of intended to be a holiday drink. If, you know, Trader Joe's still has stuff like that uh, lying around their, mm-hmm. their aisles. But uh, if you can find it anywhere, it's definitely worth uh, seeking out. Cool. And then you've been eating some stuff too, right? Yeah. Uh, I found a new Pop-Tart variation that just hit shelves. Um, uh, they're always doing Pop-Tart flavors almost as much as they're doing Oreo flavors now. And so the new one they came out with is uh, Eggo Waffle Pop-Tarts, where it's basically like a uh, an Eggo Waffle maple flavor inside of a frosted Pop-Tart. And they are pretty good. They're not quite as uh, flavorful when it comes to the maple that I was hoping. Um, and obviously that, you know, the texture is different. So it's a, it's a little bit odd to experience like a, a crispy, crispier, like pastry um, with the, the maple flavor than it is to have the waffle, but um, they're not, they're not bad. I'm not sure that I would buy them again immediately. They're, they're okay. And really I, if I wanted, you know, to do it the right way, I would just go get some Eggo waffles and put some yeah, syrup exactly. on them. <laughs> um, but I, I was still curious about them, you know, to see if there was like an, an easier way to like do it and I have to deal with the butter and the syrup and all that jazz. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not upset that I tried them. I'll put it that way. <laughs> okay, good. And then the last thing I'm, I'm really curious about, tell me about this one. Yeah, so um, I went to London and one of the things that I did last time I went, I'd only been once before, was I made sure to hit up uh, a grocery store and just check out the their candy and snack aisle because they the UK always has a bunch of different kinds of candy and snacks that we don't have here in the United States um, and so I, I will talk about more as I try more of them because I have like a whole bag full that I got and brought back with me I'm just making my way through them but one of the things I wanted to highlight because I didn't know this uh, until recently when I was there is that the standard flavors of Starburst in the UK are different from the United States so in the United States we have strawberry, orange, cherry, and lemon. In the UK, they still have strawberry and orange, but they've replaced the cherry and the lemon with lemon lime and black currant. 
which is kind of like a tart grape, I guess you could say. So I I wanted to try those. So I got them and uh, the black currant's pretty good. It's a little too tart from, from my taste. Uh, The lemon lime is awesome. And one thing I also learned is that the flavors for strawberry and orange are actually different from the U S flavors because they taste a little bit more natural. Like the fruits actually taste Uh, the strawberry one actually tastes like a strawberry. And the orange one is almost like uh, an orange juice candy is like that's like the flavor i got so the flavor of the starburst is a little bit more natural when it comes to having a fruity flavor as opposed to just like uh, a candy flavor that's trying to replicate that fruit so that was kind of interesting uh to find out but so uh so if you're ever in the uk or if you you know can find a website to import snacks from i i would definitely say to try starburst from the uk because they're just different enough to be interesting especially with the the two other flavors i would definitely rather have the lemon lime one rather than just the lemon one, because I think the lemon starburst sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, good. Well, uh, I think what, I'm not sure if we're going to do an episode of the podcast tomorrow. Um, I'm going to try to put together an interview episode maybe. Uh, but in case I run out of time, have a great new year's, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Brad, do you have any new year's plans? No, not really, because just like it's kind of weird right now with, you know, everything that's going on. And so I I think we're going to see a couple friends, like just go to a friend's house and hang out with just a a very, very small group of maybe just like a few people. Yeah. Um, And that's pretty much it. And then also we're on New Year's Day, we're actually having our immediate family Christmas because my girlfriend uh, went to go see her family in Utah for a little bit and to help them with their new restaurant, which I will say, if you are in the Salt Lake uh, City, Provo, Utah area, go check out Pogo's Great Pizza and Chicken. Uh, it is awesome. New restaurant. Check it out. So she was there helping them, and uh, we didn't get to do our immediate family Christmas yet with my like my mom and my sister and whatnot. So we're doing that on New Year's Day. Oh, cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably, I mean, maybe going to see like three of my friends outside. Everybody's been boosted and everything. We're just going to try to keep it like as small as possible for, for New Year's. So hopefully everybody out there, all you listeners, stay safe and, and have a, a great New Year's Eve. So you can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode, especially check out Brad's uh, No Time to Die stunt video. It's really good stuff. Um, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That would really help us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening. Hopefully we'll talk to you tomorrow. If not, have a great New Year's and we will talk to you guys next week.